There's a famous quote by Robert Evans. There are three sides to a story. Yours, mine, and the truth. In my line of work, you come to realize that the truth is rarely an objective perspective. For example, a bloody fight is the result of an argument. One side claims self-defense, the other claims a brutal attack. A camera shows a man striking another in the heat of the moment. Case closed, right? The truth is stored in that digital medium. No. When you look further, what do you find? Lifelong friendship. Betrayal. Months of tension. Threats. A boil over. Maybe the attacker really believed their life was in danger and mistook the slightest movement as the beginning of a punch. Perhaps he just let his anger at the situation get the best of him. Maybe a mix of both. What's the objective truth here? And for whom is that truth valid? When you're a cop, understanding these nuances in truth is critical, and understanding the power those nuances can have is even more important. Not only when you have to discern whether or not something's your recollection of events is accurate, but when you lie to achieve a specific response. It's all something you become very familiar with. For me, and my investigations in particular, this was especially true. Since my investigation of who I've dubbed as the Watcher, I'd been assigned to numerous cases. Many were either uneventful or too out of control to do much more than make an unofficial, official report. However, during this time, Officer Ryan somehow managed to get into the Chief's good graces while I bounced between the real crimes and looking at unusual occurrences. He, in turn, earned the opportunity to tag along on some of my investigations. In one instance, we even took a trip to what is easily the creepiest amusement park I've ever visited. I believe the name of it was Cheesy's World. Honestly, we could have only spent about ten minutes there before mutually deciding to nope out of there and just tell the chief that everything was on the up and up. I'm not sure if Cheesy's is even still around, but either way, I'm not really the guy to tell the story of that place. Point being, Officer Ryan and I had spent what was becoming a considerable amount of time together and admittedly, the guy was starting to grow on me. Because of that relationship, I asked for him personally on my next case. A local hospital called about a man trespassing on the mental health ward. Supposedly, someone had been spotted inside the ward multiple times. One account from a patient even suggested that the man had been sitting on the ceiling. At first, these accounts weren't taken too seriously, but when one of the security guards spotted a naked man scale a wall and climb into a small vent in the ceiling, we got called. Typically, patrol officers respond to these types of calls. However, when information on the stranger accounts of this man made its way up the chain of command, I was called in. From an inhumanly loud scream to seemingly materializing into locked rooms, my interest was immediately piqued along with my disgust. When Officer Ryan and I pulled up to the hospital, things were already in motion. Explanations for why we needed to evacuate the floor and bring in multiple officers were already given, and on our arrival, we were escorted down a set of hallways that led to the mental health ward. The security guard escorting us referred to it as the old hospital. Apparently, it used to be the primary set of buildings. As the hospital decided to modernize and expand, they built a new set of buildings on top of the old. 
This was good for the hospital in general, but it left the older portion noticeably neglected. The first signs of this were apparent in the rickety elevator we took down to the mental health facility's main lobby. Admittedly, it was a little uncomfortable going down an elevator that likely hadn't been serviced in who knows how long. The creaks and moan of the rusty lift only added to my growing paranoia. Officer Ryan made small talk with the guard as we descended. The guard mentioned how the hospital was storing an overflow of oxygen tank cylinders in the old hospital storage room. Usually we made rounds to make sure the tanks weren't compromised. During one of his rounds, he claimed to have seen who he referred to as the hermits eating a dead mouse. The story made my stomach churn a bit, but listening to the guard take comfort in Ryan took my mind off the stress for a moment. I always thought it was fascinating how that guy seemed to be beloved by everyone. But when the doors opened back up to reveal a lobby that looked as though it hadn't been changed since the 60s, my stress levels spiked way back up. Waiting patiently was Detective Evelyn Joss. Behind her were the two officers that I usually saw accompanying the chief. Detective Joss's light brown hair was tied up into a bun. Her navy blue attire and dark makeup contrasted with her fair skin and soft freckles across her nose. And of course, she was scowling. Took you long enough to get here, Smith, she said with a very detectable level of frustration. You've already cleared the floor because of the dangerous individual. I'm hoping that you won't make me do the rest of your job and actually assist in catching him. We can't all be track stars, Detective Joss, I joked. Plus, we seem to have made it before the heat death of the universe, so by my account, we still have plenty of time to figure this out. You're welcome. She rolled her eyes and turned her attention towards Officer Ryan. Hey, Barry, how are you? Did you manage to find a new place for you and your wife? Officer Ryan nodded. Actually, we did. The new set of houses just finished developing about six miles north of here. We're thinking about moving in there. Wait, Barry? I interjected. How didn't I know? Since when the hell are you two close? He shrugged. We just talk sometimes, I guess. <laughs> She's cool, man. I looked back at Detective Joss with an eyebrow raised and saw a half-smile was being sent back into my direction. She then turned to the security guard and said, Thanks for bringing them down here, Davis. We'll take it from here. If you want to have the guys waiting outside the elevator upstairs, that'd be fine but we don't want you guys interfering with anything down here. With a nod, he made his way back to the elevator and gave a simple wave as the doors closed in front of him. Wait, you want them waiting upstairs? I asked. How the hell are we going to get this guy out of here without them noticing? Detective Joss motioned for us to follow her. Without a word, she led us down a dark hallway that ended with a door that had a busted exit sign hanging over it. It leads to the back of the hospital. I'm thinking we can corral through here so that the rest of the staff doesn't see him, and then... Wait, I said skeptically. This hospital is less than a mile from a major highway. You just want to send him outside? She exhaled sharply before continuing. No. Assuming we can't kill it, we have a couple of guys with trucks waiting in the back. Hopefully we can catch him and move him out to the city and into the woods somewhere to let him run off. We won't have much time, though. Apparently, Chief has seen this guy before, and he's somewhat of an escape artist. Best we can hope for is out of sight, out of mind. 
of sight out of mind, I scoffed. Glad we're really looking out for the people, she shrugged. Yeah, well, I'd love to do more, but we're not monster fighters, I know. Still just feels empty. Detective Joss went to explain how the hermit has a tendency to fill any enclosed space. When exposed to the outside, he'd likely dive right for the back of the empty truck. From there, she gave us a tour of the old hospital. There wasn't much to see. Everything was confined to a small floor. We started with the main reception and living area, and to its right was a sliding glass door leading to the terrace. And straight ahead, three hallways. The hallway furthest to my left led down to patient rooms behind a locked door. The hallway in the middle contained a security station and a few more unseparated rooms further down. The last hallway was the most interesting. At first glance, all you could see was a few locked doors that you could easily pass off as simple janitorial closets and a water fountain. Thinking back on the conversation I overheard Officer Ryan having with the security guard, the door at the end of the hallway provided the most intrigue. Inside, I found a number of oxygen tanks stacked on top of each other with other miscellaneous items surrounding them. While oxygen itself isn't flammable for those that don't know, it can be incredibly dangerous near flammable materials. Not to get too much into the science, but as an oxidizer, it can cause an existing fire to spread much faster. Not to mention the fact that one pressurized tank exploding due to a rupture could cause some damage. 10 to 20 of them could be catastrophic. Feel free to correct me on the science, but either way, this certainly didn't jive with OSHA standards. Not only that, but there seemed to be a small hole in the ceiling. A point of entrance, perhaps. I snapped a couple of pictures on my phone, and I informed Officer Ryan and Detective Joss about my discovery, but they both largely brushed me off. All right, Detective Joss began. Barry, I want you to be at the... Before she could finish, a voice I assume belonged to one of the officers assigned to watch over us came through her radio. Supposedly, he heard a loud noise coming from the terrace, and when he went to investigate, he saw someone sitting outside. We dashed back to the main hall and found the same officer standing by the terrace door. Detective Joss went over to speak with him, but all I could focus on was the figure sitting in the fetal position outside. His head was probably twice as large as an average human head, but most of that seemed to be from his massive forward-hanging brow. His scowl extenuated deep wrinkles, and thin, stringy black hairs fell over beady eyes that were aimed at us with a deep-seated hatred. Yet, despite the disturbing look, he seemed to be otherwise human. It was hard not to wonder what this whole song and dance was for, Yes, trespassing is a crime, but evacuating an entire wing of the hospital and bringing us in here for one human man? It was odd. This could have easily been handled by a couple of patrol officers. I could tell Officer Ryan was feeling the same way, but Detective Joss was on edge. When she finally came over to talk, I almost laughed in her face. (laughs) This guy, huh? I said with a smirk. Possibly homeless. The man needs help, but we brought out all of this just for him. She wasn't having it. Don't underestimate this man, Smith. I want you both sharp when we approach. That means be prepared to fire at a moment's notice. I scoffed. (laughs) Are you serious? I've seen a lot of fucked up shit as of late. I understand when there's a threat, but I'm not going to assume crazy until I see crazy. 
Do you know how bad it'd look if we came to an obviously unharmed man with guns drawn for the heinous crime of sitting? Could you imagine if one of us accidentally shot the guy? Yeah, Officer Ryan followed. You guys haven't technically seen him do anything wild, right? No reports of threats or him actually assaulting someone? Sure, the trespassing is bad, but he's just sitting there. If he went to the media about three cops pulling gums on him without real provocation, it's gonna look bad. She shook her head. Look, I'm not... I've done this enough to know. I understand where you're coming from, but I'm telling you, that split-second difference between unholstering your weapon and firing could be the difference between life and death. If he turns out to be just a guy, then who's gonna believe... No! I nearly shouted. That's absolutely not the standard we set. We are, or at least, we should be better than that. I've heard the stories too, but we can't make assumptions like that until we have the facts. Everyone was silent for a moment. The tension in the air between Detective Joss and me was palpable. In his usual fashion, Officer Ryan attempted to ease the situation. So, uh, two beats one? My math is pretty bad, but I'm pretty sure we win, so... Yay? No guns. Fine, Detective Joss said through clenched teeth before calling over the officer she was speaking with earlier. Murray, take a position where our friend can't see you. If anything happens, then you shoot to fucking kill. We could at least agree on that. I took point on the approach with my hand over my taser. Officer Ryan did the same while Detective Joss stood at my left with her hand hovering near her gun. When we opened the terrace door, there was a tangible feeling that we weren't wanted. The man didn't move a muscle or say a word, but it was as if his very presence was telling us to leave. Admittedly, I got a little choked up in trying to speak with him. Unfortunately, Officer Ryan didn't pick up on the hostile atmosphere and made the mistake of being the first to communicate. Hey man, we got a call about you being here and the hospital staff has informed us they'd like you to leave the premises. If you need us to get you some clothes or take you somewhere, we'd love to... No! The hermit's gravelly voice left us stunned for a moment. The sound seemed to boom, but it appeared as though he was barely putting any force behind his words. I looked over to Detective Joss for a moment and found myself mimicking her, my hand now firmly placed over my gun. I was slowly becoming aware maybe this guy really wasn't human, and that I'd made a grave mistake insisting that we come at him without guns. It took Officer Ryan a moment to regain his composure. He let out a nervous laugh and tried continuing. I, uh, sorry. Look, we can't really take a no for an answer here. If the hospital staff wants you gone, then you gotta go. We'd really prefer if you just worked with us here to make it easier. No! His voice boomed again. This is my fucking home. Before I could even process what happened, he sprung forward with incredible speed. One moment he was sitting on the ground, the next he was rolling around on the floor with Officer Ryan, beating his face raw. Detective Joss already had her gun out, but I knew she wouldn't get a clear shot without risking shooting Officer Ryan. Instinctively, I yelled, Don't shoot! 
while I dived for the hermit, tackling him to the concrete. Not only was his strength immense, it felt like his whole body was covered in some sort of oil that prevented me from getting a good grip. I'd done some wrestling in my youth, but I was utterly unprepared for the grappling match that ensued. Eventually, he found his way on top, and I could see his massive hands about to swing down when a loud bang rang out, and then another, and then another. Suddenly, I felt a river of pus wash over my face. When the pressure of him sitting on my chest lifted, I hoped to whatever deity that may or may not be out there that Detective Joss had killed him. I received no such relief when I heard that same booming voice command that we leave his home immediately. Looking up, I caught him squirming his way into a vent that led back into the building. Though his whereabouts were absolutely a concern, my immediate attention was drawn to my bloodied partner lying just a few feet away. I scrambled to his side and the damage was apparent. Cuts, bruises, missing teeth, and a severely broken nose. Damn it, I shouted. Evelyn, help me get him to his feet. We managed to get Officer Ryan back inside and hand him off to Officer Murray to be taken upstairs and held by hospital staff. It burned me up inside that I couldn't go with him. It was my call to go in without guns squarely trained on the hermit. Because of that stupid decision, Officer Ryan could have easily received permanent brain damage and likely would need plastic surgery. But we had a job to do. It was hard not to wallow in my own foolishness. Detective Joss was kind enough to give me some space and allow me to come to her. It took a few minutes to get myself back together. I found her waiting outside smoking a cigarette. Since where are you a smoker? I asked. She flicked the ashes and blew out a bit of smoke. I'm not, at least usually. But the more I get into these cases, the more I find myself lighting up one or two to help me think or just to deal with the... You know. She turned toward me and held a lighter out. I'm trying to stop, so here. I don't have another one, so as long as you have it, I can't smoke. I accepted the gift and leaned next to her against the wall. So we're going to find that thing and fill its body full of lead, right? She shook her head. I know you want revenge for what it did to Barry. Trust me. I've been where you're at before. But that's not going to work. How do you mean it won't work? He bled or pussed like a stuffed pig when you shot him. Between us two and the officer on standby, we easily have enough ammo to put him down. If not, then we go get bigger guns. Two of us. Officer Hang there needs to guard the elevator. Besides, I think the shock at the moment made you miss something, Smith. I had to be within, what, 20 feet of him? I shot the bastard three times with my service pistol. Three close shots. I was there, and... And after the pus stopped leaking, no wound. This information froze me. I... I don't understand. He was obviously hurt. How could there be no wound? She shrugged. You ever heard of self-healing fabrics? You can puncture them, but they fix the hole right after. The bullets definitely went in, but you couldn't tell that by looking at them. If you stand right up after three hollow-point bullets to the head, how much damage do you think you could have done? 
I think the most going in guns blazing would serve to do is annoy him. We need a legitimate solution. That was tough to hear. I wanted revenge for my friend, and I was finally sure that we had a way to kill this horror just this one time. It took me a moment, but I had to resolve myself toward a different method. Okay. So what do we do then? Original plan, she said, placing a hand on my shoulder. I wanted Barry to operate the security station, but with him gone, I'll have to do it. Keep your radio on, and I'll tell you where on the floor I see him. If you can chase him around until he goes through the door leading to the trucks, then we should be okay. Kind of like leading a fly out of the window. Admittedly, I thought it was a horrible plan. I understood the general concept, but playing high-stakes hide-and-seek with the super hermit sounded like a pretty dangerous proposition. That danger made itself immediately present when we found him standing at the end of the hallway with the security station. I pointed my gun in his direction and ordered him to stand still. He never broke eye contact as he spoke. You two are intruders in my home. You will leave or be punished. I will defend my property. There was a pause. And I shit you not. The fucker started climbing the wall like gravity was optional and it slipped into another vent. The apparent breaking of physics didn't seem to bother Detective Joss in the slightest. As soon as he was gone, she went to work pulling up security cameras. When she got everything up, she reiterated the plan, follow her directions, and lead him out of the building. We knew that bullets could at least make it feel pain, and the threat of that should have been enough to corral him toward the truck. She remarked about how simple it was, and at first, I thought she may be right. It took some time, but eventually we saw movement in the hallway containing the patient's rooms. This was it. As I walked toward my destination, pistol aimed straight forward, I couldn't shake the growing feeling that this was going to be the furthest thing from simple. Making my way through the door, I had to take stock of my surroundings. Inside the patient's rooms were open and situated on the right. Simultaneously, there was a mini kitchen, small television, and nurse's desk, all in a small area on the opposite side. A lot to be compacted into an ugly-looking hallway, but ultimately empty. I'm not seeing anything, I said on my radio. Did he change locations? Negative. He ducked behind the nurse's station to your left, likely setting up an ambush, she replied. I methodically walked toward the counter, being sure to keep my back toward the rooms. My heart thumped in my chest and sweat started to form on my brow. My mind was becoming flooded with all the ways that this could go wrong. When I was level with the desk, I took a deep breath and pivoted toward the desk's entrance, screaming for that ugly bastard to get out here. Nothing. Peeking around the corner of the nurse's station, I didn't see anything. All it took was one inquisitive step forward for him to spring from his position in a hollow compartment at the desk and tackle me to the ground. I immediately felt a sharp pain in my right shoulder. His gums had dislocated from his jaw and shot forward like a goblin shark, sinking sharp teeth in my flesh. My screams of pain only seemed to make him bite down harder. Luckily, I managed to keep a hold of my gun in my left hand and fired a couple rounds into the first thing I could find. 
pressure on my shoulder lifted, and he reared back in pain, grabbing at his gut. I sprang up and used my good shoulder to ram it into an empty room and shut the door behind him. Luckily for me, one of the few things they had upgraded in the old hospital was the doors. They appeared to be badge-locked, meaning unless a staff member came to let him out, he wouldn't be going anywhere. I was hopeful that'd give me some time to develop a new strategy, but his constant banging on the door made it hard to think. Keep smashing away, I yelled. You're not getting out there unless I want you to. Right on cue, he went silent. He inspected me for a moment and then pressed his face into the small window in the door to speak. And the only reason you want me out is so that you can try and scare me out of my home, right? I... What? Your plan, stupid man, he stated matter-of-factly. You think that you can make me abandon my home? You'll run out of bullets. It'll hurt, yes. But if I stand my ground just long enough, and you and your friends won't be able to hurt me. I know I can take the pain, but can you survive having your jaw ripped off? He paused to spit a yellow fluid at the glass. I'm going to hunt you down first. His threat made me take a step back. He fucking knew. This whole time, we would have chased him around until the point of exhaustion, and then he would have struck. Detective Joss's voice came over the radio. Smith, I see you've contained him. Listen, I need you. He knows. What? He knows the plan. We need to do something else. I've got him locked up here, but I... Smith, look down and get the hell out of there. Confused, I did as I was told, and I saw two fingers beginning to slide out from underneath the door. Soon after, his hand followed. I didn't have much time to think. I sprinted toward the exit and shut the door behind me. Glancing back through the window in the door, I could see his arm had already made it through. Three options. The exit? No. He would simply follow me outside. I could run toward Detective Joss. We could at least hurt him together, but if this guy was a basically living bullet sponge, then we'd both eventually be defenseless. Which left one real option. The beginnings of a plan I didn't entirely trust started to form in my head. Another quick glance back showed I was almost out of time. He was pulling his legs out from under the door, and I knew he'd be gunning right for me. I got on the radio. Detective Joss, he's coming your way towards your location. He wants revenge for that gunshot earlier. Take a position outside by the truck. She replied with a simple copy, just in the nick of time. The man was free and barreling toward the door. I sprinted toward the open storage closet. Three of my steps must have been equal to his one because I could hear him closing the distance with lightning speed. Despite the pain, I opted to dive for the opening, spinning around as I landed and shooting a warning shot in his direction to hopefully slow him down. It did the trick. The bullet missed, but I knew he wouldn't want to take unnecessary damage. He ducked behind a water fountain, leaving me enough time to get to my feet, pull out the liner Detective Joss had given me, and point my gun to one of the oxygen tanks. Hey, you bastard! Get out here! He raced up slowly and walked toward me. He was ruby red, and I could tell from the look in his face that he was absolutely livid. You stupid man. You put yourself in a corner. I'm not afraid of a little fire. I spat on the ground. I don't give a damn about a little fire. A lot of flammable shit in here, though, don't you think? What do you think happens if I start shooting oxygen tanks with this flame lit? 
Admittedly, I wasn't even sure if the science was correct, but my bluff seemed to make him take pause. What do you plan to do? He said cautiously. You're obviously an intelligent guy. More intelligent than a lot of the things I've dealt with, so let me put in this in terms you'll understand. Oxygen tank plus bullet plus fire equals boom. And when boom happens in an old space with flammable stuff, well, I don't know if you can survive a fiery explosion, but it doesn't matter because your precious home won't. No, he shouted, throwing his hand forward. You'll die too. You wouldn't do this, not to my home. He's partially correct. I wouldn't risk hurting the people in the hospital if this crazy plan would have even worked, but that didn't matter so long as he believed I would. I don't give a damn about your home. Either you kill me or the explosion does. Honestly, I think I prefer the death over whatever the hell you do. Plus, it'd be way more satisfying to know that you won't get shit after this. I squeezed my finger on the trigger just a bit. You take another step closer, and I swear to the universe. Stop! He screamed. Don't destroy my home. What do you want? Look, I'm a fair guy. There are some new empty houses six miles north of here. I'm not sure how'd you plan to get there, but they're empty. So let's make a deal. You can't have this home, but maybe you find yourself one over there. You do that, and we'll leave you to your own devices. He contemplated my offer. I go there, and you stay away from my new home. I nodded in response. Seconds passed in silence. The sense that I would have to readjust from my bluff seemed to become more real every moment. But eventually, after what felt like minutes of tension, the hermit took off in the other direction without a word. I took the most enormous sigh of relief I've had in my life and flopped on the ground, grabbing at my shoulder. Pain seemed to be coming on more intensely now. Detective Josh's voice came on through the radio. Smith, we saw him come outside, but the little shit went down a storm drain on the sidewalk. Eventually, I had to fill Detective Joss and the chief in on our conversation. She was displeased that I essentially just shifted the problem somewhere else and was absolutely livid that I changed plan without telling her, but ultimately she was proud of me. The chief was more outwardly appreciative of my quick thinking, the way we knew exactly where he'd be and we could prepare for his presence and dealing with him in an empty house seemed far more ideal than dealing with him in a full hospital. Despite all I'd been through and loose ends still to tie up, there was still one thing at the forefront of my mind. By the time I finished everything with the chief and the hospital staff, Officer Ryan already had a room, but I wasn't allowed to see him, at least not officially. I snuck past most of the staff to get to Officer Ryan's room. The ones that saw me didn't ask too many questions given my badge. He was in rough shape and had already been put on some heavy drugs, but he was at least coherent, which was an excellent sign. Officer Ryan, or Barry, I began. Look, I'm sorry, man. I should have known the danger and had us prepared, and all he could muster was the weak. Shh. The gauze and swelling made it hard for him to talk, the words coming out a bit muffled. I could only imagine how hard it was for him to find the energy, but he fought back the pain and simply said, Don't blame yourself, man. You did the right thing. I nodded and bent down and put my hand on his shoulder. Knowing I should let him rest, I began to make my way outside, but a weak call stopped me at the door. What's up? I asked, spinning around. Don't call me Barry, man. It's weird as shit. 
was trying to be respectful. You blonde bastard, but all right. Officer Ryan it is, I replied, smiling. He gave me a thumbs up. Knowing he'd be okay, I finally made my way outside. That night had been awful, and I was more than ready to go home and sleep off the trauma. This is why I was less than thrilled to see a hospital staff member running after me in the parking lot. The woman looked to be in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. She was on the shorter side with dark brown hair. Her badge signified that she was a nurse working at the mental health hospital, which immediately suggested this would be another situation where someone would ask questions I really didn't want to have to answer. I didn't even get a chance for a proper greeting before she was standing in front of me. You're one of the officers dealing with that guy from earlier, right? She asked with an accusatory tone. I was, yes. Did you need something? She looked at me like I was crazy. Did I need something? Are you serious? You know what went down in there and you're just going to play it off? Not exactly sure what you're referring to, but if you have information you'd like to share, I can give you... Bullshit, she shouted while pointing a finger in my face. You don't think I know about the man in the old hospital? The human that scales vertical walls and fits into tiny spaces a child couldn't make it through? Or that fucking voice of his? Your chief comes through and says he was just a homeless man living in the building and expects us to believe it. I, I... No. They didn't believe me when I said I saw him. Do you know how terrifying it is to have that thing stare at you from down the hall just inside the camera's blind spot, only to disappear when you go and, and get help? She knew. I wasn't going to convince her that what she saw was normal by any realistic metric, but still, I needed to know exactly where she was going with this. I agree that what you saw was strange, ma'am, but I'm sure there's a rational explanation for all of this. With him in custody, we'll eventually find those answers. But what good does telling me all this do you? She scoffed. <laughs> what good does it do me? Depends. Getting national media attention for a fucking monster stalking our hospital could bring some solace. Especially if I knew the police were lying about what they saw and were grilled by every major outlet in the world. Or... You could just tell me what the hell is going on. I knew I couldn't lie my way out of this. The only thing I could really think to do was try and divert the conversation. You know, storing a bunch of oxygen tanks in an unsafe manner is definitely a breach of OSHA standards. I think the news would be far more interested in that than a silly monster story. I weighed my phone in her face to emphasize my point. Especially with evidence. But this didn't faze her in the slightest. You think I care? The security guard is a 19-year-old kid. Don't you think I could convince him to pull footage from today? Hell, I'm sure he'd love to be on TV to say what he'd seen. And he's not the only one. Yeah, the oxygen tanks look bad, but which do you really think is going to be the bigger story? Why push this? Why do you want to know so badly? Because, she sounded again. My sister is a patient at the old hospital. What if he'd hurt her? What if he'd hurt my co-workers or me? I think, as someone directly involved, I deserve to at least know. She took a moment to breathe. I'll make this easier. You tell me, and I promise I won't speak a word of it to anyone else. Just please tell me what's happening. Honestly, at this point, I was done. Emotionally, exhausted, physically hurt, and just fed up with all the lies. Who the hell was I to hide something like that? 
Why should I have to pretend that what she saw was normal or that it wasn't out there waiting to hurt someone else? We're not monster hunters, I get it, but is telling the truth too much to ask? Or at least my version of the truth. At least this one time. That night I made the decision to tell her. I swore her to secrecy, but I informed her about everything. Honestly, I think it ended up being catharsis for me more than anything. But I like to think we both walked away feeling better, or at least with a greater understanding. She didn't thank me, not that she needs to. She was owed my truth. Everyone was. And as she walked away, I reflected on what I had done. The fact that there was so much we still didn't know. More monsters, more secrets, more things hidden just outside where we can see. I can only hope that she used that knowledge to protect herself. I thank you all for giving your time to another one of my stories. I only have a couple more for you, so hopefully you stick with me through these last two. As always, stay safe, everyone. I should have never stopped when I saw the laughing man in the middle of the road. His face was bloody, his khaki pants and red polar shirt were dirty and torn, and his bare feet were red and scaly from however far he'd walked on the hot asphalt before plopping down to have a good time braying at the sky like a donkey. Tears left tracks down his cheeks as he wept with the effort of chortling and guffawing so hard and fast and loud that his chest shuddered with the effort to suck in enough air between bursts. He looked exhausted and pathetic and crazy, but also like someone that needed help. So instead of driving around him, I slowed to a stop, just passed him and pulled over to the shoulder, glancing both ways down the long stretch of highway before walking over to him. Sir, um, are you okay? Were you in an accident? The man kept laughing as he rolled his eyes in my direction. <laughs> accident? <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was a confirmation or not, but at least he could hear me. Maybe he was in shock? Leaning down, I tried to catch his eye, but he was staring at the passing clouds again. I studied him a moment, looking for bleeding wounds or broken bones, but not seeing any at a glance. Maybe he could get up and get out of the road, and then I could call for help. Sir, are you okay to get up? If you think you're okay to stand up, then you can come with me to my car and I can try to get you some help. If not, I'll stay with you and call from here. The man looked at me again briefly and then looked past me to my car, his laughter slowing a moment. Chuckling under his breath, he glanced back at me and then stood up with surprising speed. He pointed to me, and then my car. <laughs> let's, let's go. He started walking toward the side of the road without waiting for a response, but then doubled over halfway across the right lane. At first I thought it was stomach cramps or a sign of an internal injury, but then I realized he was roaring laughter again, his whole body seeming to spasm with it for a few seconds before he looked back and beckoned me to follow. Frowning, I looked both ways one last time and ran across to where he stood waiting at the car. Hold on. Are you hurt? I need to call 911. 
Pulling out my phone, I saw the no service icon in the corner of the screen. I looked across the car to the man. Sorry, I, I don't have signal right here. It's it's weird because I was streaming music for the last hour. Maybe it was still buffered from a few miles. I blushed as I shook my head. Sorry, I know you need help. I don't know exactly where I was, and I didn't like the idea of letting a stranger into my car out in the middle of nowhere. Still, maybe he was badly hurt, and if there was a town nearby, it might be easier and safer just to drive him to a hospital and drop him off. I waved to the man to catch his attention, and his latest bout of laughter slowly trailed off as he followed my hand back toward my face. Do you know this place? Is there a town close by I can take you to, or a hospital? The man's face lit up with a smile as he nodded. (laughs) Braxton! He pointed the way I'd been headed. (laughs) Not far. It's... it's... He began snickering. (laughs) It's home. I glanced back down at my phone. Fuck, this guy was creepy acting, but I still had no signal and he hadn't done anything violent or aggressive. I needed to just take him toward town and call 911 as soon as I could, let them direct or meet me, and take over helping his crazy ass. Trying to keep my expression neutral, I nodded. Sounds good. Get in, and I'll take you back. Wiping away more tears of laughter, he nodded and climbed into my van. So, what's your name? We were five miles down the road at this point. Still no signal, but I had seen a sign saying Braxton was only two more miles away. I'd have preferred just staying quiet until I got rid of him, but that damn laughter was hard to listen to, and it did seem to lessen when we had to talk. (laughs) Harry Harry Marcus. I gave an awkward smile. Good to meet you, Harry. I'm Jeff. Did you, um, have an accident out there or something? I glanced over at him again. Closer up, I still wasn't sure he was really hurt other than a scrape on his forehead, which seemed too small for all the blood on his face. Maybe he hadn't been the one bleeding so much. Shit, were you by yourself out there? He nodded and went to speak when another peal of laughter shook his body. Taking a deep breath, he tried again. (laughs) Alone. Yes. What about how you got there? Did you have an accident? A car accident? Harry shook his head as he wiped a line of bloody snot from his nose. (laughs) No, no accident. They, (laughs) they left me out there. (laughs) Would have car carried me farther, but they forgot. With this, he vomited a little, leaving a fine brown mist on the passenger dash as he grew louder as though he had just told the punchline of a great joke. Feeling queasy myself, I focused back on the road. Um, okay, so where's the hospital here? I want to get you there as quick as I can. The man shook his head in the corner of my view. No, no, Kendra, take me to Kendra, down, downtown. I considered arguing, but thought better of it. Whoever this Kendra was, he clearly knew her and better her deal with this crazy than me. 
I was going to try asking for directions on my phone, but there was still no signal. Did they just not have a tower in town at all? How was that possible? Weighing the pros and cons of asking Harry where to go, I felt relief when we passed a sign that said Braxton City Limits. Below it, an arrow pointed forward, and then to the right with the word downtown below it. Braxton seemed strange. Just looking at it, it was a small Midwestern town that probably hadn't grown much in the last 50 years. There wasn't much traffic, and I didn't see any people on the street other than a couple of cops talking through the window of one of their patrol cars and an old man walking alone down the sidewalk near the edge of downtown itself. I thought about turning around and asking the cops for help, but it would just lead me to getting more involved than I already was. If I could drop him off with this Kendra, that would be good enough and I could be on my way. (laughs) Here. So. I followed his gaze over to a shop coming up on the right. It looked like a tailoring or alteration store, and the sign above the door showed a smiling needle and thread, laughing at some shared joke above the name you so-and-so. Frowning slightly at the sign, I pulled into a spot and looked over to Harry. Here? He nodded, covering his mouth as he chuckled to himself. Okay, I'm gonna go in and ask for Kendra. I'll be right back. The store was large, with sections devoted to sewing supplies, alterations, and even a large selection of supposedly handmade dresses and suits. It was weird, but kind of cool, and if I didn't have a bloody insane man in my car vomiting up weird shit, I might have enjoyed poking around there for a few minutes. As it was, I just wanted to find Kendra. Can I help you? I turned to find the source of the voice and sucked in a breath as I saw a beautiful young woman smiling at me from behind a nearby counter. Blushing, I nodded and stepped forward. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for... I'm looking for Kendra? She raised a delicate eyebrow at me as she smiled. I'm Kendra. Why are you looking for me? Swallowing, I made myself go on. So, I was driving out on the highway, and I found this man in the middle of the road. I don't know if he's hurt or in shock or crazy or what, but he needed help and asked me to bring him to you. Her smile faded while I talked. But she didn't seem to know what I was talking about yet either. Um, his name is Harry? I thought I saw her skin pale slightly, but it was hard to say in the dim morning light coming through the front windows. Harry? No, I I, I, don't, I don't know any Harry, I don't think. I'm sorry. She kept her eyes on me, and I didn't see any clear sign she was lying to me, though I don't know why she would. Maybe if he's hurt like you say, you should just carry him to the hospital. It's up the highway to the north side of the town. I winced slightly. Look, if I can, I need to, but can you just come out and look at the guy? Maybe he gave me the wrong name or something. He's pretty messed up in the head, I think. Keeps laughing all the time? I don't know. I trailed off as her eyes went wide. No, no. I? Laughing? No. You need to go. I can't have you here. You? You need to take him and go. I frowned. So you do know him. Why'd you say you didn't? She shook her head as she took a step back from the counter. I, I, I don't know him, or I don't remember him right, but I remember laughing. Laughing so much I thought I'd die. 
There were tears in the corners of her eyes now. And I think maybe my daddy's name was Harry. I didn't know what was going on. Nothing was making sense, but one thing was clear. Kendra was terrified, and I didn't want to be anywhere near the man in the car, whether it was her father or not. Fine. I dropped his ass off at the hospital and quit freaking her and myself. Heard the door chime. And when I looked around, Harry was there. Kendra let out a low moan behind me, and I stepped between her and the door as I met Harry's gaze. Hey man, I don't think this is the place. I'll carry you somewhere else so you can... The man looked past me, wiping drool from the corner of his mouth as he chortled. (laughs) Kendra, (laughs) you don't know me, girl. I glanced back in her direction and saw she had retreated toward the back of the store, her lips trembling as she stared at him. I think you're my daddy, but but you're gone. Harry let out a loud laugh. (laughs) Gone? You're being silly. (laughs) I'm right here. Sniffling, she shook her head again. No, you went down with the men into the mine and it fell and and then I came back out didn't I like Lazarus reborn other fellas didn't make it but I did oh I did the man began to do a strange little jig as he talked bouncing on the balls of his feet as he edged further into the store torn between confusion and anger I raised a hand as I stepped forward to stop him hold up man this girl is scared of you so why don't we go find those cops we passed and let them sort it Harry looked up at me, his eyes shiny and hard. You're a funny man. Funny, funny, funny. I saw his jaw flexing and thought he might either try to jump me or run past, but then I heard a new sound behind me. Kendra had started to laugh. It it is kind of funny, maybe? I, I don't know. He's right, though. Daddy came back, but he's hes not the same. He's so funny, but he's mean too, and I don't remember him, but I do. Her voice rose into another spasm of laughter, so violent, her face flushed red as she grabbed the nearby shelf for support. Kendra's eyes were bloodshot as she looked up at me again. Please, please help. Sucking in a breath, I bolted forward, grabbing Kendra's arm as I passed. Behind me, I could hear Harry laughing louder, as though he'd never seen anything quite as funny as us trying to escape. I'd seen a door on the back wall, and when we reached it, I flung it open, relieved it led to a back office and storeroom rather than a dead end. Pulling the girl through, I slammed the door back shut, but not before I saw Henry slowly walking towards us, a large slash of a grin below his hard, dark eyes. Is there a way out of here? Kendra nodded, giggling. (laughs) Yeah, there's a back door in the alley. Taking her hand, I headed for the back, weaving between shelves of fabric and boxes before finding the door and heading out to an empty alley. I looked in both directions, unsure of which way to go. My car is right out front. Can you sneak us back around so we can get away? Chuckling to herself, she looked up at me, her eyes panicked and desperate. (laughs) I think so. It's getting hard to <laughs> to think. 
to want to leave. <laughs> it's like what happened before, but <laughs> a lot faster this time. I gave her arm a squeeze. Well, just stay focused. Maybe you'll feel better when we're away from him, okay? She nodded and began leading us to the right. We moved behind a couple of other stores and then turned right again to cut between two buildings and back out to the main street. Peering out, I half expected to see Henry waiting for us, but there was no sign of him. Instead, the only person around was that same old man I'd seen puttering down the sidewalk as we'd come through a few minutes earlier. Now he was sitting on the curb, head held in his hands as he wept with laughter. Gesturing to Kendra, I ran out to my car, jumping in and starting it even as she got into the seat behind me. Looking up, I could see Harry staring out the store window watching us, smiling and waving as I slammed the car into reverse and shot out to the street. If he tried to follow, I didn't wait to see. I wasn't sure which way to go was best, so I just kept heading the way I'd planned. Back to the highway, and then on to where we found people that were still sane in this town or the next. Behind me, Kendra was laughing harder, and I felt a prickle of fear at the thought of her in my back seat and still acting so strange. Um, Kendra, you want to come up here and sit? A snort of laughter. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> I'm really, really great, I think. Swallowing, I glanced at her in the rearview mirror. I think I'd feel better if you were up here. Looking back at the road, I saw a sign saying the hospital was this way, but as I wasn't sure if any place was safe to stop in this town. Kendra snickered. <laughs> it's all gonna happen again now. Uh, what is? The town. <laughs> Going crazy, getting happy, <laughs> tearing each other apart. I frowned. Are you saying people have been killing each other here? Because of him? It's okay. Look, you can see there. She stuck her arm past my head, pointing ahead of us to the right before climbing over into the seat next to me. At first, I thought she was talking about the hospital coming into view, but then I saw the column of gray smoke pouring up behind it. As we grew closer, I could see the massive fire blazing in the field behind the hospital, surrounded by people throwing bodies in. I almost slammed on the brakes but then stopped myself, accelerating further instead. My hands were shaking on the steering wheel, and I gripped it tighter as I risked a look over at Kendra. She wasn't watching the mass burning we just passed. Instead, she was looking at me, her eyes wide and flinty as she hummed to herself, the tune periodically punctuated by soft laughter. Why? Why are they doing this? Why haven't they called for help? Kinder smiled at me. When he's gone, nobody can remember him too much. And when he's here, well, then most people don't want him to leave. Her face pitched down in a momentary frown. A few of the people from this town still weren't happy, though. They tried to take him away, I guess. She started laughing harder. But he's too smart for them. Face lighting up, she turned around in her seat to look back at the receding fire. Ooh, I bet they're the latest in the burn pile for that. She shoved me in the arm. Turn around. I want to go see them. I want to hear them cook. Her face contorted into another bout of hard laughter as she shoved me again harder. Fighting to keep the car straight, I shook my head. 
Stop it. No. We're going away from here, getting you help, telling other people about what's going on here so we can stop him. I jumped slightly as I suddenly felt her lips and teeth against my ear. (laughs) Why would you want to stop him? Recoiling, I turned toward her. Because he's driving you all insane. Or something is. He's killing you. She pulled back and frowned as she shook her head slowly. I I think he's helping us. Helping us to understand and helping us to be happy. She looked back out the road. But I'm not leaving. You can't take me away. She broke up laughing, leaning against the passenger door and slapping the glass harder and harder. I was going to try and stop her, but then she was grabbing the latch and flinging the door open. I did grab for her then, barely grasping her arm as she began to pitch herself out the car when we went around a curve. I managed to keep us out of the ditch by inches and then got us on another straightaway as I looked back to her and tried to pull her back in. It was no use, though. She was fighting me, pushing with her legs against the center console and twisting to free her arm, shaking with laughter the entire time like it was all the best game in the world. I called out to her, told her to stop, to let me help her get away, and for a moment she did stop, looking down the length of her body to where I held her arm and then onto my face. Her own face was red and swollen from laughing and crying, her cackling growing more brittle as her voice grew hoarse and her eyes were worse, flickering between sparks of madness and glimmers of sane terror, all colored by desperate, manic sadness like poison in the bottom of a deep well. She gripped my arm back for a moment, and in that moment her eyes seemed clearer, and the laughter was gone. She used the brief window to say one last thing to try and rescue me in a way I couldn't rescue her. Before I had a chance to respond or react, she wrenched her arm free and pushed off again, and this time she made it out of the car completely. I'd slowed down to about 20 miles an hour after the curve, but she still rolled several times before coming to a stop in the tall grass of the shoulder. I slammed on the brakes, determined to go back, to get her back, to make her come with me again, but then she stood up and looked at me with a single solemn shake of her head before running off back into the direction of the town. Body trembling, I reached over and pulled her door shut before driving away. I went two towns over before I stopped to get help at the police department. I knew if I told everything I'd sound crazy, so I just gave a vague story and trouble of Braxton that needed outside help. I waited nervously at the station while the desk clerk called a superior to get the okay to reach out to Braxton PD, and I could only faintly hear one side of that conversation and the ones that followed, but I already knew what was coming before the man came out to give me an update. I called Braxton like you asked. Talked to the chief himself. He said everything's a-okay over there. The clerk blushed slightly. Maybe you just got a mix-up or some I stood up angrily. No. I'm sorry, no. Something is bad wrong there. I'm telling you. People are dying and going crazy. The man was stepping back, his eyes cutting to the door he'd come out of. Look, I'm not crazy or on something or whatever. I know how this sounds, but if you don't help her, help them, more people are going to die. He frowned at me. Her? Shaking my head, I went on. Just... 
Are you sure you talked to the chief of police? The clerk's eyes widened a moment before he let out a laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Harry Marcus? He's been the chief here for years. Great guy. His eyes grew distant for a moment. Really funny. He seemed like he was going to say more, but I was already headed out the door. I've spent the last hour in my car, half a mile from the police station, just writing this all down. Making sure there's a clear record of everything that happened. That is still happening. I'm doing it in part because I don't know if I can get anyone to believe me. I'll try again, but (laughs) something is pushing against it being discovered, at least until it's too late. I'm also writing everything down because my memory of today is growing strange, as though I'm passing into a dark forest with brilliant patches of sunlight through here and there. (laughs) Parts of it I still remember clearly, but other moments from just a few hours ago? They seem so dim now. But none of this is the real reason I'm writing so fast, desperate to get every detail down. It's to help someone else understand. To give warning in case I can't, because I've noticed something else this afternoon, growing stronger as the day passes, making it a struggle to even write these last few words. I can't stop laughing. 